Like if you want to start a charity, you don't want to make money, start a charity. But if you want to say you want to have a business, you want something that helps you sustain your own lifestyle and you want to do good and you want to grow and you want to see the potential of it, then you have to think like a business. Welcome to the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show with your host, Jerry Saber. Hey, this is Jerry Saver, and you're listening to the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show, a podcast where we talk with the people who are running vegan brands and creating a plant-based future so you can get inspiration and ideas from them, learn how they got to where they are, what's their approach, and what works when you're setting up your own plant-based business. So we're recording this episode the week after Tulum Vegan Fest, and I have to say that I'm stoked, just like I always am when I come from any live event where you can meet new people and old friends and find out what they've been up to. And I'm also really excited because there's now a couple more names that we'll be adding to the speaker lineup for Plant-Based Business Week. So if you haven't registered for it yet, head on over to plantbasedbusinessweek.com and save your spot. Remember, this is a free online event, which means there's no travel costs involved and you can watch all the interviews on your own schedule wherever you want. So go to plantbasedbusinessweek.com now and save your spot. And now to get into today's interview, I am talking to Jim Yilditz and you'll actually be able to hear him talk at Plant Based Business Week too and the food industry module because he runs a growing chain of vegan fast food shops in the UK called What the Pita, where they make vegan doner kebabs. Now, if you're in the UK or Europe, I don't need to explain what a doner kebab is, but just in case you don't know because it's a bit less common in the States, we'll have Jim explain exactly what it is. Jim, welcome to the show, man. Hey, how you doing? You good? All good, all good. And um, I'm sorry, I know that doner kebabs are not the only thing that you do so um you just want to give a quick background on the culinary side of the business and and then we're going to get started with, with the actual interview if you don't mind yeah sure so it all started with the doner kebab which we um, learned from roger's uncle in freiburg germany it basically consists of flatbread that we make ourselves on site it's got uh, GMO-free soya chunks, which we marinate in our special spices. And it's also loaded with um, salad. You've got lettuce, tomatoes, onions. You've got a vegan tzatziki and our homemade chili sauce. Loads of pictures over on our Instagram, what the pit are, to check out. And I mean, all of our customers are always sharing their pictures. It looks good. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I don't think it's that common over in, in America. But if you're anywhere in Europe or in the UK, these are like the typical places where you head after a big night out to get some food into your belly before hitting the sack. At least that's what it was like when, when I was a bit younger and, and still partying. I'm guessing it's still a bit like that, right? Yeah, I think that was definitely what people initially thought, but also people have grown to see that actually it's a healthier option and obviously it's something they could actually have on their lunch break. I mean, initially we started out on Shoreditch High Street, so we were getting a lot of footfall for people falling out of clubs and stuff like that which was actually quite a good opportunity to actually try our food with people who weren't actually vegan, but just saw the Donna sign and thought, hey, I want a Donna kebab. <laughs> I need some food after my party and, and would actually give it a try. Nice. Now, let's just roll this one back a little bit so so we're not diving into it head first. Who am I talking to right now? Like, who's who's Jim Yilditz? What What's your personal background? And what actually brought you to the plant-based lifestyle? 
Uh, it's a bit of a weird one, really. There was no definite route there. I mean, I came out of university with a media production degree, and then I went um, into work for a charity as a digital market, uh, digital marketing. I was doing video production. After a little while, I started getting fed up with that nine to five, having to commute every day. Um, and then I actually started my own podcast. I also went freelance with my video work and doing like online marketing, building websites, stuff like that. I've always been really fascinated with like health and fitness. Like a lot of my clients for digital marketing were fitness people. So I've always been into like nutrition and stuff like that. And so basically for me, I just started exploring nutrition a little bit further. Initially, I was on the whole paleo, on the whole bulletproof. I've done ketogenic. I've done all kinds of diets. And then finally, obviously, veganism came along. And that was basically down to a, um, a shop, a cafe that opened up the road from where I live. It's called the Feel Good Cafe, a great place. And it does vegan food. And basically, I was going there. I was popping in having talks with Idan, who's the owner there. And then basically one day he said to me, oh, I've got a ticket to go see um, who's the one who does, uh, Dr. Michael Greger from nutritionfacts.org. And he was like, I've got a free ticket if you want to come in London, pop down. I was like, okay, why not? I'll see what happens. Went there, obviously went to that talk. And then after that day, I was like, okay, I'm going to really give this veganism a try. And it kind of went from there really. And then obviously, I mean, if I go into how the business came about is, um, basically my business partner he's my little sister's boyfriend and we was on holiday together and I mean we hadn't even we didn't really know each other much more than just saying hi and bye when he popped over my house every now and then or picked up my sister and then um basically I was on the beach with him and he was like you hungry do you want to grab some lunch and I was like yeah yeah why not let's go grab something the girls were still on the beach so we headed over to the cafe and then the guy came over gave us our menus and obviously in Turkey you expect to be eating like these big meaty dishes and then I just ordered like some salad and then he ordered like a massive meat dish and he was like what are you, what are you doing like what's, what's up and I was like oh just I'm trying this whole vegan thing out at the moment so I'm not eating any meat and he was like wow that's a bit I haven't heard of that before like that's a bit extreme but then he was like oh but actually um you used to say in that my uh, uncle has a place in Freiburg Germany that does this vegan donna and I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. Like, I haven't heard of anything like that in London. Obviously, I've tried all this other vegan food that people make in cafes and stuff, but I've never heard of a vegan donna. And so, like, on, so while we were sitting on, as I say, at that cafe, when straight away he was like, hey, maybe we should just book the tickets when we get back and fly over to Germany and try this thing out. And if it tastes good, maybe we'll try it out in London. And so that was kind of where the idea came from. And then literally, as soon as we got back from Turkey, about a week later, even if I think it was less than that, I think it was like the next week, the Monday, we flew out to Germany. We tried the dish. We taught we over three days while we were there. We learned how to make it all. And then within two weeks of having the idea, we literally opened up our first place in Shoreditch High Street, which was in a little wooden shack, which is called the Pump in Shoreditch, which was our basically where we tested our idea out. Nice. So it was basically just running in, I mean, jumping in with both feet and doing it. Did you ever expect to be running a vegan business? No, not at all, but I've always been like keen to try things, same as with the nutrition and stuff like that. I've always tried different diets, I've always tried different ideas. For me, it's just sort of like exploring things, just giving them a go, because I think a lot of the time we're too quick to prejudge something rather than just maybe testing it out in a very safe and maybe minimalistic way. And then that way, same for me, like I didn't say, oh, I'm going to be vegan forever. It was more like, oh, can I try this for a few months, see how it goes? And it just stuck. And so for me, I just try things, learn from them. If it works for me, if it makes me feel better, if I'm getting by, if it's doing better for the environment or whatever else, if it means that I have a business that makes me a little bit more income, why not? So it's just exploring the ideas in a kind of safe environment, really. So just to explore something that you mentioned before, because I've simply never had the opportunity to talk about it with anyone who's done it. How did you fare on the 
keto diet and, and the whole bulletproof thing? To be honest, I was fine. Like, I've been training totally good. Like, I weren't overweight. I was literally putting butter in my coffee. I was eating, like, at least a stick of butter per week. I was having loads of meat. Like, even my friends laugh at me now because they're like, Jem, you were the guy that used to, like, wait in the supermarket till, like, the steaks had gone down in price so that you could buy the whole lot. Or if I went for a meal in a Turkish restaurant, it'd be me and my friends sharing like the 30 pound buffet meat platter. And so it was totally left field when I started telling people that I'm just not eating meat anymore. And then even since then, like my training's only got better. I've only got stronger. And I think that as sort of my friends who knew I was in fitness are kind of like, wow, if that's what he could do without eating meat, then they start trying it out themselves. So I literally was the complete opposite spectrum of what you expect a vegan to be. Yeah, but uh, you know what? If I just think maybe seven, eight years back, I think I would have been into it heavily as well. I mean, the whole bulletproof paleo keto thing, it, it does have this science ring to it. There, there's a lot of theory to, to back it up. I don't know how effective it is in, in the long run, but um, I think there's enough that it would have convinced me at some point. But of course, I, I became vegan before the, the whole craze began, so... I never had the chance to experiment with it. Hopefully I've undone some of the potential damage it's done. But as I say, like I felt fine on it. I was training fine. I was lean still. So I guess it again is experimenting. I think that's the whole thing with business is just experiment what works for you. And obviously just delving a bit more into the statistics and the research and actually just speaking to people who are more educated and have gone down that path already. That's what I think. Yeah, exactly. So Going from big meat eater to, to vegan to vegan business owner, how did other people around you take the whole business transition? I think people kind of know that I get really excited about things like I'll just something will come up and I won't let it go. People said I used to have like hobbies as a kid and just once I have that hobby, I'll learn it inside out, skating, skateboarding, anything like that. So it weren't really like a shock to me in terms of just trying it out. I think people were shocked at the whole veganism thing, but I tend not to kind of think about what other people think about the concept in a way. It's more like, okay, this is an opportunity. Can I try it? And I think initially people thought, well, this is going to flop. Like I think even when we went to the place to rent out the um, the wooden shed, I remember like um, the other food people in the market kind of saying, oh, what are you guys thinking about doing? And it was like, oh, we're going to do a vegan doner kebab. And it was kind of like, <clears throat> like laughing under their breath, like, okay, we won't see you for long then. And it was kind of like expected. And I think there was quite a high turnover in that area because the rents were so high initially and it was on a month by month basis. And so I think they kind of saw another wishful young person who's trying to like start their own food truck and then vegan doner being the option. And then obviously... It just blew up from there, really. Do you mind if, if we go into the numbers here just a little bit for, for anyone listening who, who might be wondering what it actually costs to, to start something like that? Like, wh what are these high rents that you talk about? Initially, it was the rent was high. So the rent was £4,000 a month, which is high. Yeah. But at the same time, our equipment costs were maybe like, I don't know, less than £1,000 to set up, get all the equipment, like the grills and stuff were probably, and the items that we bought were probably like £700. And the way we saw it was, is that that one month investment where maybe we spend, I don't know, five grand or something on in turn, because at the end of the day, we didn't have to pay ourselves. We were working there 24 seven. So the startup costs were for us to test the concept was five grand, say under five grand. 
and so for us it was just like how do we get in an area that's highly populated that a lot of people are going to see it that we can test the idea as quick as possible and i don't know if your listeners have obviously read or maybe should read the lean startup and it's this whole idea about testing your idea on a minimum budget as quick as possible and then so that was our concept and it was like okay if this is what it's going to be if we can make it profitable when we know our rents are that high then it's that we've got a business here so we knew at the end of 30 days if it all went to right we could have literally just cut the business off we could have just ended it there cut our losses but at least we would have tested our concept and we would have learned something from it exactly that's how i see it the way i see it what you learned from from this test was that the idea was worth pursuing obviously yeah obviously it was profitable straight away like the first day we had people and then it started spreading people talking and then suddenly we had all these vegan bloggers that i didn't even know of at the time because i mean i'd only i still wasn't like i was still even like couldn't considering like oh, am I going to do this vegan thing for how long what's, what's it going to be I probably had only been vegan a couple of months and then now I've got this vegan business and then suddenly all these vegan influencers fat gay vegan Sean who was a massive support for us vegans of London Damien who you spoke to just loads of people just started supporting us and sharing and saying hey guys look what's here and obviously the product itself is a bit gimmicky because people don't relate a doner kebab to be vegan and so it kind of started speaking for itself in terms of marketing we had a few like newspapers and stuff want to write something on it so that definitely worked in our favor but we knew we had something because people were talking about it and it was like a little buzz around it and we were having these cues at lunchtime we started having obviously rapid jme pop down and get pictures and so it's kind of that sort of thing it just had a little buzz to it and we, we were excited about it and so we knew we had something there really did you have any idea of the potential that vegan fast food has before you you got into it no i'd never even eaten vegan fast food myself like i had no idea about it literally not at all because i just i don't know it was just a concept and i knew that like obviously fast food and street food in london is like a huge thing and it's a growing market you see always people talking about it but i knew that veganism was starting to kind of get like mainstream and people were starting to talk about it like that's this was only like literally a year ago this is july last year when we started so it's literally i think it's just coming up to our anniversary for starting our business but i mean even then you could tell that things were kind of changing in terms of like the media and that more people you could speak you'd have a friend that you knew who was vegan and now you've got a couple of friends in your group that are vegan and people are now eating less meat so i knew there was something there it's just that we had to be like willing to kind of test those waters to me i think the whole fast foods idea of veganism it just ticks all the boxes you know it's it's convenient by definition it's tasty unless you really mess it up but then you probably shouldn't be in the food business at all and the price is usually very accessible that that's one of the factors for fast food as well and that's basically what you need to offer people to to get them over so making it vegan is just a side note but it's a side note that basically makes all the difference in in convincing people that this is actually something that's completely accessible and and doable you know You don't need to be a tree-hugging hippie to, to do it and just live on tofu. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And I think that's the thing as well. Like That's what I'm um, obviously just a general population who weren't vegan, who saw was just like, okay, you know what? I do want to eat a bit less meat. This is something that I know is similar to something else I've eaten before. Uh, let's give it a try. And so that worked in our favor and it still works in our favor. Like a lot of our customer base aren't strict vegans. They are people who are mainly reducing the amount of meat that they're eating. We do have a lot of vegans too, who are the more diehard vegans. And we also have just the people who are new vegans. We have just a variety, but 
our whole aim really was just understand that let's not be so particular to who we want to serve it's only for people who are just aware of what they're eating and maybe want to have that meat-free option maybe once in a while or maybe you are vegan and i think obviously we can see the trend is moving towards more people adopting a vegan diet or maybe in vegan four or five days a week and so we knew that was an opportunity there and obviously now there's been so many stats that have come out that kind of backs this trend especially in the terms of plant-based milks that are just booming now and all these sort of things that you see in the supermarkets starbucks suddenly having plant-based milks and this meat-free ranges in tesco and stuff like that so it's just becoming real common and the trend is pretty much clear and luckily it's still early days i think the opportunity is still there massively for a lot of people but it's kind of finding your own niche in between there as well yeah in terms of your your customer profile you, you said was that you know Brody 24 7 was one of you always manning the the fort or did, did you close at some point when when you opened that that shack no so it was yeah well it wasn't physically 24 7 so we opened at 11 and we closed at um, 11 but when we was at the other place at the pump we was actually allowed to stay open well initially we we're allowed to stay until late so sometimes it was 11 till like two in the morning and then after they said oh the council have told us that we can't do that so it had to be like 11 till 11 i think it was and sometimes we'd push it to 12 but we always had a market especially on that strip after hours and sometimes it was our best time to be open yeah but initially when we started out me and roger were both doing 11 to 11 seven days a week and that's not even including like when we come in early to start prepping and when we stay late to close up so it was long days and we learned really fast that we should have hired as quick as possible but again you're kind of learning as you go you're testing ideas and obviously it's you can't grow a business if you're working in the business which we've now learned as we've gone on to open like obviously our second location so how is that um, those after hours opening times and and serving people were there many who didn't even realize they were eating vegan food um yeah a lot of the time especially at late at night i remember there was always a one customer that really like stays in my mind i remember um, he came one evening and he got a donna he was drunk out of his face grabbed some food and then left and then went home and then the next morning like while we was back setting up about 11 o'clock or something in the morning when we were setting up just about to open he came back and he was like guys i popped over last night do you remember and i was like, oh yeah you was in a bit of a bad state and he was like yeah, yeah yeah he goes you know that's the first time i've had some food after drinking and i've never been sick and i was like oh that's good and he was like you know what like i, I realized that after when i got home that it was actually vegan i remember seeing the sign and then he was like i thought i'd like come back and just tell you guys i'm going to try this whole vegan thing like, obviously that didn't do as bad and so it's kind of like silly stories like that where you get someone who'd come along and just give it a go but then even just people just like we'd always have people be like, what the F is a vegan donna? Like, what the hell is it? And then you just get chatting to them a bit and have a little laugh and a joke. And obviously, especially with monks, men like not eating meat is seen as a bit like demasculine or something like that. And so you'd have a lot of like banter with these like men, burly men who were like, oh, no, I don't I don't I eat meat, man. You've got to eat meat to be a man or whatever else. And then you'd have a conversation. And in the end, I'd be like, look, mate, just try one. Like it's on me. Have one on the house. And then they'd try it. And they'd be like, you know what, mate, that's not too bad. That's not bad. And then they tell their friend and the next day they all come down and have one. And so we knew that obviously it's a, it's a tough gig to convince people and it still is sometimes. But slowly, slowly the awareness is growing and people aren't, I don't know, as closed minded. Yeah, I definitely agree on that one. That story with, with the guy just stumbling in and, and getting some vegan food and then realizing it's the first, the first time he wasn't sick. That That's a cool one. So you, you were telling me before yeah i totally agree the the lean startup approach the the nice thing about it is it can work for pretty much any business so that was the route that you took with um 
what the pita. And one thing, did you always advertise this? Did, did you always have signs outside saying this is vegan or was it a bit more uh, subdued? No, it was always vegan. So initially when we started out, we was like, obviously, the, it was a vegan donut we was doing and that's all we promoted. Like we didn't have what the pitter as the brand. We just had this massive sign that said what the pitter. And even that sign in itself became a bit of a story because every time we put up a vegan donut sign, like within, I don't know, one or two weeks later, we'd buy a new one because someone was drunk and just ripped it down as a joke. And literally this would happen over and over. And then I remember me and Rog spent like 400 pound and we bought this like really cool vegan donut sign that lit up. It looked amazing. And we like every night we'd go to bed and be like, I wonder if it's still up in the morning. I wonder if it's still up in the morning. And then the next day, like we woke, I mean, this was like a few weeks later, but we was always waiting for our sign to be ripped down. But it was kind of like a story in itself because obviously people would walk past and take pictures, see vegan Donna, take a picture, put it on Instagram, share it with their friend. They know who was vegan. And then even like our sign would just go missing. It came this thing, but it also grew a community because people were like, why do people keep like wrecking your sign? Like who cares if it's vegan? And then, I mean, I remember when our 400 pound sign, we got like a message I saw on like um, Instagram. I searched because I would always search like the hashtags in the morning, like vegan Donna, just to see if anyone's mentioned us. And then our sign that we paid 400 pound was someone took a picture of it in a bin, <laughs> which someone had ripped down and chucked in a bin. So, <laughs> so when it didn't always work well, but for when it was on there, we ended up going for a cheaper one. I just had a sign on it that said vegan Donna, which got printed for like, I know. 50 quid or something or less than that and then people would just take pictures so initially we just wanted it to be gimmicky we wanted people to say what the hell is a vegan donna take a picture put it on their instagram take a picture put it on their facebook and then obviously the people who were vegan and more supportive they would also do the same but it was just kind of spreading that way and then obviously later on down the line i mean our store in box park croydon says vegan donna on the front and then we made the decision to actually change the one in shortage to say what the pitter and now we also we get a lot more people who kind of walk in thinking oh this is a pitter and then they come in and then maybe they stand in a queue for a bit and then they get to the front and we're like, oh, yeah, what would you like? And they're like, oh, can I get one with lamb or chicken? And we're like, uh, we just do vegan. And they're like, oh, for God's sake. And then they've been in the queue long enough, but they give it a try. And then they come back in like 10 minutes later after finishing. They're like, you know, what? that was really, really good. I'm going to tell my friend about it, blah, blah, blah. So it's kind of like a balancing, really. I mean, initially, we just used the veganism as the kind of gimmick vegan donor. Let's promote it. But now we kind of want to build it around the brand, what the pitter instead. But I think it could work both ways, really, because sometimes having something that's vegan kind of helps you get publicity and people want to talk about it. But then if you keep it hidden, then sometimes you just kind of get people who are curious and maybe see it and, and then obviously going to uh, go for it. I think I listened to your conversation with um, Laura from Voch and she was sort of saying like the whole thing about whether you should or shouldn't say it's vegan or not. And I think there are pros and cons to both of it. And so when we had it as vegan, Donna, it worked in our favor. But now we definitely want to kind of more push the whole what the pit are. And this is like a meat free option, not strictly vegan in terms of the branding which is vegan obviously but just it's not what we lead with yeah i mean that's that's a question i really like asking because like you said it's an approach that can work in either way but uh, I, I wanted to know if this was something that that you were also testing out when when you were starting with that check to see how people would react to the sign actually saying vegan on the front yeah yeah that, and as I say, that was exactly like what we wanted. We wanted people to see a vegan donor and then be like, what the hell is a vegan donor? And it's something that they talk about. Seth Godin talks about it. Be remarkable. If someone is saying something about something, you've caused a reaction. And sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad. And so for us, that was the initial way to lead with it anyway. Nice. So if you can break it down and, and just go a little deeper, what did you learn in, in your first month of, of operating? 
that <laughs> my body can take a lot of beating <laughs> in terms of being awake for that long. I think me and Rog both lost like a stone and a half each or something because we were working like constantly day in, day out. Um, we also obviously prepping, obviously customer service. I think that was a huge thing for us. The fact that we were both in there, which we miss nowadays, obviously we can't be there all the time, but it's just that conversation with customers and having those chats and stuff like that we missed, which was great. And I think that helped us build up. And those were the same customers that come back to Shoreditch now and still say hello to us or Croydon and say, oh, I remember when you guys were in the shed. So for me, I think that FaceTime with customers and being comfortable enough that they'll give you feedback on certain things obviously working hard like I think with any business as well like if you're going to hire people you kind of need to know the ins and outs of your business like you need to know all the details because if you're going to teach someone you're going to need to know them or if they go sick one day you need to jump back in and so like me and Roger always make sure we are doing shifts here and there just so that we can make sure we're still on top of our game but um, I think with any business as well especially food we hadn't done it before so it was just constant learning every day was something learning something ran out something broke something nearly caught fire loads of stuff like it was always crazy like oh then suddenly you've got health certificates you've got this thing you need to do this person's coming in to check up on you this person wants this this person and didn't get any change this person like there's constant things going on even like today before this interview i've already been told that we're running out of spices in shoreditch and maybe i have to run and drop some over so it's it's a constant learning i think having a business is that kind of excitement that there's always something going on sometimes it's stressful but it's actually quite fun as well it keeps you motivated keeps you excited keeps you learning really yeah yeah exactly was there anything that was not as as you had expected? Were there any things that you assumed would run a certain way or, or happen in a certain way and, and then they happened completely differently? Um, I think in terms of like expectation, I did not expect the support. Obviously, like I think anybody creating a business, I think the vegan space is probably one of the best because of the support you get from the actual community. Like you can see that on Facebook groups, you can see that on Instagram, but just people coming down and saying, you know what, this is a vegan business, this is something we need, and actually I'm going to do anything I can do with my network that I have to actually help you guys succeed. And I think for me, that was like a huge like shock to the system because obviously you have you start your business, it's your baby, but actually a lot of the people that came down to support all the vegan influencers on Instagram, the YouTubers, everybody else who came down, it was just like, wow they see it as something that they're also bought into. They want this to succeed because there is something they're passionate about. And so I think like if you are starting a vegan business, you are starting it on the upper foot. Like it's your starting it with an advantage because everybody's there to help it succeed because it's also part of their own bigger vision that they want to work they want everybody to succeed so for me that was very unexpected and i guess um just the other things that probably i just didn't i totally underestimate is just how much work it takes especially in the food business because there's so many details and i mean we're lucky enough to that we only had one product at the beginning now we do like obviously a turkish pizza we've got a couscous box we've got like a meze we do which again a lot of people know about so we have different options but it was nice that we only had one option on the menu because even that was hard enough to kind of manage when stuff's going off or how long can stuff keep for and all the little details stuff breaks the regulations so there's a lot of stuff i didn't plan for but they're kind of stuff that you kind of learn along the way and you evolve if you were starting again right now is there anything that you would do differently right from the start i guess it's hard because initially i would say look you never know whether it's going to succeed or not but i would have loved to just hire staff straight away i would have really liked to have someone in there to kind of cover us because 
it's hard to kind of put out fires when you've got to be serving customers. And so for us, it was like if there was an issue, one of us would literally have to run out and then you'd be freaking out because you'd be working by yourself in the shed. And then everybody, then the other person is going to figure out the problem or something would run out and we'd be like, how can we, I don't know, but it's a tough one because I think at the beginning you kind of worried about how you're spending your money but sometimes you've got to think like the business succeeds when you're working on it not in it and I think I keep reminding that and I said that to Rog my partner when we started out because he was like no 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 his his uncle's obviously got a food business and worked in it for years before he started hiring like or before he started like hiring enough staff to get himself out of it and I think like now that we've got staff straight like in there now today there's staff in both locations Roger's on holiday I was away at the weekend and I'm at home but I'm still working on market materials i'm working on new promotions we can do i'm working on facebook ads i'm looking at like what can we add to the menu and it's kind of like those things are the bits that grow the business but i think when you're starting out i think you have to be a bit of a hustler you need to be like in the trenches you need to be learning every detail so obviously now that i know it's been as as successful as i want it to be like I would have said yes it would have been great to have some more staff at the beginning but obviously you don't really know that so <laughs> that's really my learning there are some things that you can only learn by by getting your hands dirty and there are things that you can only give to someone else to do once you know how to do them yourself all right one thing i think a lot of people underestimate and i was again i was listening to laura speak from Voch, and is just that the idea that she's doing it on her own and that is tough and i think any business if you can find somebody who's got like different skill sets to you or different drives or things slightly different to you like the fact that it was me and rog together is why it succeeded it was no way one of us could do it and we still can't do it like there's certain decisions that someone makes better than the other one there's certain ways of doing things that someone does better than the other and so i think the best thing you can do is get a partner that kind of complements your skill sets because it is tough like when you have a day when everything's gone wrong you've got to hope that the other one's on form that they're going to say you know what i know it's been a bad day but you know what it goes up and down it's just what to expect and so i think like a good thing for anybody who's thinking about starting a business is definitely just find a partner find someone who can help you if you're good at design find someone who's good at sales find different skill sets that you both have like because i know at the beginning like roger's so like in terms of getting stuff done he wants to do it like tomorrow it's too late if it's today and so he's whereas i'm more calculated i try to think things through a little bit too much but that could hold us back and that can make us miss opportunities and so having us together we both complement each other i do the online marketing he does more the sort of logistics and making stocks in the right places and so again we play to our strengths but it works and it means that we're both not overloaded with too much to do and obviously when you're having your off days there's someone who's there to kind of back you up who was the first person that you hired what was the most important thing that that you wanted to get off your back and and give to someone else it was just a day-to-day really like the product's not that difficult to make i mean rolling the breads takes a little bit of skill and then after that it's just kind of like how to roll up a wrap and how to serve it and obviously you're serving customers so really it was just a day-to-day it's just a general serving being friendly chatting to customers making the breads stuff like that that was the stuff to quickly get out of the way because obviously that's not going to grow the business that's just service obviously it grows the business with repeat customers and stuff like that and making sure the product's good quality but we knew that actually to grow is awareness like that's why business succeed there's awareness and then people the product delivers and that's how you can grow a business and obviously our main thing was we didn't want to just have one we want to grow as fast as possible we're already looking at our third location we want to have 10 in the next couple of years as quick as possible and we can only grow as fast as the people we can serve and so it's really important that we have those people who are the ones who are 
doing the service for us so that we can work on logistics, we can find loca locations, we can find out ways to kind of negotiate with our suppliers, we can do all the stuff that's behind the scenes, but that's how it grows. So for us, it was literally just trying to hire that person to basically take the kind of day-to-day work away from us in terms of serving yeah how big is your team right now with with the two shops that you have running we've got two full-timers at each location and then we have probably like i don't know three or four part-timers in between that as well four full-time and maybe like eight part-time or maybe a few more than that do you have any problem finding them i think the thing is with us like we'll just put out an advert on like gumtree or any kind of like catering website and then literally get inundated with like applications and like our way of like our best worker one of our best workers in Croydon, he came literally, I put an advert on Gumtree, two seconds later, someone replied. I said, okay, come in for a trial. And now he manages sort of our location in Croydon. I didn't look at his CV, I just said, come in. And so for us, it's kind of like, I think obviously you can, it's time, it takes a lot of time to kind of just go through trialing people, but I'd like to give people the opportunity. I don't really care about the CV. We just get them in. Can you make breads? Are you friendly? Do you serve customers? Here's our product. And that's it. So for us, it's just testing people. And we've hired and fired loads of people. But at the end of the day, again, it's just testing. Like you just got some people is not for like some people are good on week one and rubbish on week four. So that's just part of business, really. Some people lose motivation, but then some people gain motivation and love it and they take on more responsibility. And so, yeah, I don't think hiring is particularly difficult. I think it's difficult to not let people get complacent because once you're good at a job, it's very easy to kind of coast. And so we obviously want people to take on more responsibility. If we're going to open more locations, maybe they go on to be managers at those locations. We want to make sure that our staff are constantly passionate. And when they're speaking to customers, they're excited. And uh, yeah, it's just that it's a good vibe, really, which is tough because you're kind of managing people, but then you're also managing the business and everything else you do. So again, it's a bit of a balancing act. Now, here's a question that I I like asking of, of anyone who's running a uh, multi-staff business how is it with your your whole mission behind the brand how many of your team are are vegan how many of them are on board with this part of it probably like 50 50 i'd say 50 percent aren't like and i guess it's a bit similar because obviously rog my business partner he's not vegan but he definitely eats a lot less meat and like i'm the vegan manager in some ways so i think it's like 50 50 Again, we don't kind of like push the fact that, well, we're only going to hire vegan workers. Like at the end of the day, if we're serving a vegan meal to someone that's having an impact, whether it's come from the hands of a vegan or hands of someone who's not vegan. So again, it's not really, yeah, it's not something we really kind of like are too bothered about, like making sure that people are vegan. We do definitely want someone who's at the front of the house to be vegan because it's usually good to have someone who's talking to the customers that way and knows about stuff and can open up conversations, stuff like that. But I think they're all kind of like buy into it. Like most of our workers are like even say if they start with us and they're not vegan within, I don't know, a few weeks or something, they're already in a lot more or a lot less meat and a lot more vegan products, whether it's our own donors or they're just a bit more aware because they've had to kind of work for eight hours with another member of staff who is vegan and who then is going to kind of educate them so it's like a slow burner yeah we've had a few people who've worked for us who started off not being vegan and then now are vegan and so yeah that's been quite interesting to see actually it could be argued that you're making an impact on both sides of of the counter there and for anyone who's building the team that way i think that's a pretty good point to consider yeah and i think as well like you've got to remember that if our customer base is pretty split it's not all vegans then it's kind of nice to see that oh this person you're serving is also not vegan but is kind of interested and is adopting maybe a few more vegan meals per week 
then it kind of is more relatable. So it's kind of like if our staff can match the demographic of the people, people that eat with us, it's a slow burn. It's a slow process. Some people like myself change overnight, but some people it takes a little bit of time. And I think we want to cater to both. Touched on this one before, but what's, what's the, the experience you have now in the vegan food industry or the vegan restaurant business, where do you see the biggest opportunities being right now? Um, I think there's loads of opportunities in terms of like food. Obviously, people need to eat. I just think it's in like how do you create a product that is interesting, is different or is similar to something else, but done in a new way. And you can kind of see that. Look at the success of like Temple of Satan, the vegan chicken shop. And you've got Nana Bar doing like banana ice cream. So these are meals that everyone can relate to already like all these not dogs which are vegan hot dogs stuff like that all these different brands or pizzas like these are foods that people already are aware of in their consciousness so if you can kind of create a version that's just as good and it's vegan or even tastier and people think it's good for them i think there's massive opportunity you can already see i think there was a article i saw the other day saying that like these big food companies like burger king and mcdonald's and all these chains are kind of suffering because actually people like to have that street food niche experience and so like in the especially in the food arena i think it's open and i think like sometimes you don't have to think so big as in oh i'm going to create a whole chain of vegan doner kebabs but actually just say you know maybe once in a while i'll go to a vegan food festival and run my business and it's a side job to maybe the other job that i have when i'm doing it full time i think especially in the food space it doesn't have to be all or nothing you can get excitement out of selling your vegan brownies down at a local vegan fair or a local market and if they taste good everybody's going to eat them so i think the opportunity is there people need to eat and people like good food and as long as you tick all those boxes like there's going to be a market and now you've got social media take pictures and instagram's like the most perfect platform for sharing food so i think the opportunity is ripe i think it's perfectly it's all there ready for you it's just do you have a good enough idea and does it taste damn good (laughs) Yeah, which I guess it's what food usually comes down to, whether it tastes good, whether it's there and available when you're hungry, and whether you're not paying, you know, an arm and a leg for it. For sure. So in, in terms of yeah, social media and Instagram, Facebook, what are some other things that people getting into business right now? So let's say millennial entrepreneurs what are the things that they should really be leveraging to to maximize their business impact so it depends on what they want it depends if they want to kind of leave their job or they want to start a business or they want to earn a bit of extra money but i think nowadays like again obviously you know i have a podcast powerful nonsense which i speak a lot about this stuff i just think nowadays i think a lot of people are seeing that a job is just not enough for them it's not paying them enough if their pay doesn't go up quick enough and then you've got this perfect platform the internet to kind of grow a side business or start a new business or explore a business or I don't know there's so much opportunity out there I just think that you need to kind of figure out what are you interested in where do you have skill sets where does the market see a demand like when I did my media production degree the whole idea was to go into television and film but then when I realized nobody's taking people on in those kind of jobs but then suddenly there's this huge industry called digital marketing everybody wants a videographer I saw that as an opportunity and so and then I jumped in and that's what that became my job and so you have to kind of look at the market you have to see what's changing like obviously you've got veganism is growing but obviously their their online market is growing you've just got to see how your skill set kind of plays into that but I think a lot of people are kind of especially millennials are being shaken up by seeing that you know what this whole 
job thing isn't working and it's not giving them the life maybe they want or maybe it's just not moving quick enough for them and so a lot of people are looking for new options whether that is starting a side gig or starting a business and I just think even I saw a stat that one in four millennials have a side gig and so people who are probably listening to this probably have a little uh, maybe a vegan idea that's uh, something they're working on on the side and it's just kind of knowing where to start and I'm sure that your conference that you're putting on is going to kind of like touch on loads of different aspects and I think that's the key there I think that sometimes it's not oh okay I've got a good product but I don't know how to market or I've got a good idea but I don't know how to make the product and I think that's what's needed really is just education in terms of like what's the missing piece and sometimes that's finding the right partner or sometimes that's just having the right knowledge and for me that's why I did my podcast because I was interested in business but I had no idea how it works and so I wanted to talk to people that did and I also wanted to read a lot and share a lot and so for me that's what's really important. Yeah, I'm I'm very familiar with with that need. I mean, that's kind of what started the plant-based entrepreneur show as well. I mean, I I knew that I wanted to to learn more about running and building vegan businesses, but um, I, I figured it was the best way to go about it is, was to just talk to people who are actually doing it and then share those conversations. Yeah, I think there's a massive like um, bit that's not really spoke about, especially in the vegan community. And I think it's this idea of making money. I think it, I've spoke about it before. I've spoke to a friend of mine called Louis Blake, and we talk about this. It's called this like idea of this whole conscious capitalism. And I think he wrote an article on it as well recently on LinkedIn. And I think like there's this whole illusion as well within the vegan community that if you're making profit, it's like a bad thing. Obviously, we see all these massive organizations who are earning these huge money huge amounts of profit avoiding tax and stuff like that and so veganism is kind of like well if you're going to be a vegan business you've got to be a good business and you shouldn't try to maximize your profits and I think it's a massive uh, debate we need to have because I think that actually a lot of people are not running successful businesses because they're not prioritizing profits profits keep is oxygen to a business it keeps you alive and actually it's something that helps you grow and is actually going to help the movement and i think a lot of people start a vegan business and say well i'm doing it for the good of it but it's like business doesn't work that way yes you can be good but a business works because it makes profit and so that's how it grows that's how it sustains itself and i think that that's the only caveat i see in the whole vegan business movement is that too many people are putting the doing good ahead of like the idea that a business needs a profit it doesn't have the maximum profit but it still needs to leave you enough that maybe you hire a second person or and then you can grow the business or it, you save enough money that you can buy your second location or you earn enough money that you could buy a product developer who can actually create the better product that you currently have and stuff like that and so I think it seems to be for me which I see is a sort of missing gap is that too many vegan businesses are, are coming from a place of doing good rather than being a businessman and knowing how to make profit and businesswoman, obviously. Yeah, that's a super important thing. And the idea here is that we really need to shift the, the thinking from what you just described. So doing good to doing good by making money, because the more profit you're, you're getting in, obviously you, you don't need to sacrifice the mission or, or doing good for profit you should keep your values but the more profit you can generate the bigger your potential impact yeah of course and like at the end of the day like if you want to start a charity you don't want to make money start a charity but if you want to say you want to have a business you want something that helps you sustain your own lifestyle and you want to do good and you want to grow and you want to see the potential of it then you have to think like a business exactly and and the other thing to to consider is that a hugely successful business obviously will will have a large marketing budget 
And that marketing budget, if we're talking about vegan business, that can actually be compared to to an activist organization that's just putting their ads out to to educate people, but their budget is probably going to be lower. Exactly. Just look at Bill Gates as an example. He didn't start um, Microsoft as a ethical business, but at the end of the day, he plowed all his money into doing good. So it doesn't have to be today, but it could be like the future vision. And I think that's what people need to realize is that actually having high profits means you can have bigger impact. Exactly. Okay, we're, we're going to slowly wrap this one up. I wanted to ask you a couple more personal things because you're a podcast host, you're a content creator, you work with digital media, you're a food entrepreneur, so what's, what else do you do? Uh, well, I did just finish building a website for someone today. <laughs> <laughs> right, so how do you manage everything? To be honest, I don't know how, but I just enjoy it. And so I like, I get, again, I've got like a short attention span. So I like to kind of jump from ideas, from like different ideas. I get bored too quickly, but then it also means that it gives me enough time away from something that I actually get excited about it again. And then I start having loads of ideas. Like tomorrow, I've got to do two podcasts in the morning. But then in the evening, I'll be going to, I don't know, probably drop some stuff off over to what the pitter or the next day I might be thinking about that a new graphic or something I have to design or a new promotion. So for me, I just like to work on lots of things because it keeps my life exciting. It keeps me learning it. I don't know. It just keeps me on the ball as well because I like to see other people's businesses. Like I, I have um, online marketing clients that I manage some of their social media. I'll give them consultations on what they should or should be, shouldn't be doing online. And so I like to look into other people's business, see what's working as well. And so, yeah, I don't know how I fit it all in really, but it's, it's fun. <laughs> It's stressful, but it's, it's, it's enjoyable too because it's just, I don't know, it, I just see it as like, what's the alternative? Like the alternative is I get a nine to five and I just do the same thing day in, day out. So, <laughs> so is there anything in particular that keeps you fired up and, and motivated? Like, do you have any any techniques that, that you personally employ to, to keep your energy up or, it's, or is it simply the excitement of, of doing everything? Well, I think obviously you've got to keep yourself healthy, like number one, like if your body's in good shape, it moves well, like you're going to have energy, like it comes from your body. Also, just for me, it is, it comes down to that as well. Like it's, am I doing things I enjoy? Does it allow me to live the lifestyle I want? And can I see a vision in the future that I'm heading towards? And so that motivates me. And so I don't know as well, like with my podcast, I just, that obviously we're sponsored by a university, the University of Northampton. But that I just love doing. Like if I didn't make any money from that, I would just do it every every all the time because it's just enjoyable. It's stuff that I would want to be doing if I had all the money in the world. So for me, yeah, it's not really – I don't find it too hard to get the motivation. There's stresses every day that I don't want to deal with. But at the same time, again, like what's the alternative? And that's always worse as long as I'm excited and I'm moving towards in the direction of things that I want from life. I think you could either – complain all the time about why things aren't working for you or why the world or the economy is going against you or you can kind of do something about it and so my mentality is always you have the power you can make the change and so that's going to take a little bit of work right yeah i i love that you know it's it's totally fine and i think this needs to be emphasized as well because there doesn't need to be one single thing that motivates you. You don't need to be the person who wakes up every morning at five and sits down to meditate. Sometimes if it's just the excitement of doing things, which it sounds to me like you're one of those people who simply gets excited about it. 
right? Yeah, for sure. I, I think that that can be the, the biggest motivation in, in and of itself. Yeah, and I think people just need to strip down like what is their motivation. It might just be family. It might just be lifestyle. It might be that they do want to just spend more time with their friends down the pub. But then if that means having a business that kind of lets you have that freedom, then why not? Like you just got to find out what what is what is the kind of bigger goal. I think a lot of people want to start a business because it sounds cool but like actually what's the reason for it what if you did have that business and now you've got all the time in the world what would you do with it so that's the problem I think a lot of people don't really have a sort of real sort of life plan that they're thinking of how they're planning out what they want or kind of the way they want to live and so that's something that people also need to consider because when you know what you want and what you're aiming for then motivation is just a byproduct because you've got clarity on where you're heading now speaking of clarity um, and, and plans. What, what are the future plans for for what the pizza? Like right now, you've got the third restaurant in the works. You mentioned that you're you're aiming for ten. So, what do the following year or two hold in stock? Where, where do you see this going? As I say, like we'd aim for a hundred with the right people, with the right money, with the right knowledge, with the right like. There's no limit really on what we can do. It's just up to us. Is do we make the effort to find the right people, make the right connections, put in the time, find like all this sort of stuff. So for me, it's like just pushing it to the limit in what we do. I mean, that might be a slow burner. Like people think, wow, you're looking at three locations within the first year and think, wow, that's crazy. But there's someone out there if we had the right connection who's maybe opened. Imagine if we, like I say to Roger all the time, imagine if we got to speak to someone who was like the manager at Pret who opens up like a hundred locations in like, or they've got to open 50 locations in a couple of years. Like that person is going to move us way faster than we can move ourselves because we're doing it on like our hunches. We're not doing it on experience. Whereas for me, it's just how the hell do we get around people that have that knowledge or have the money or have the skill sets that will help us grow rapidly. And if we're up for the ride, which we are, then we're ready to go. It's just again finding those people that that we really need so there is no direct oh this is the plan and it's all strategic it's just we know what we want to do we want to push it and we just need to get around the right people or kind of like keep that fire lit up our own asses that we keep going for it really well i think the way that uh, the whole industry is growing that's that's becoming more and more doable these days for sure i mean if, if you just look at what the um the recent fundraising that uh, the guys from All Plants pulled, that, that was really impressive. So, um, and considering that on, on the other side of the pond, you've got Veggie Grill that you're, you're probably familiar with. I'm not actually. <laughs> and even, even, when you, even when you said that to me, like obviously I've met the guys from All Plants. I'm like, oh yeah, they got funding. Hmm, I wonder how I can get in touch with them and see what, who they got funded by and how they did it and what they need to do. I, I would definitely suggest that, uh, that you have a chat with them so, so they can tell you how, how they pulled it off. But um, we're going to have the, the Veggie Grill co-founder on, on the conference. So I'm really looking forward to, to that conversation because they're growing nationwide. And obviously, like I said, I think that vegan fast food has an incredibly huge and bright future in front of it. And I think you're perfectly positioned to, to be a part of it. I hope so too. And I mean, we've been, we've been like, people reached out to us for like, oh, you guys doing franchises because we have a place in Dubai or Turkey and stuff like that. And it's something we'd obviously would consider and we'd look into, but again, we don't have the knowledge or the experience to know whether that's the best option. <laughs> so again, we're just in that constant learning mode. As you should be as a business owner. Okay. Final question, Jim. In terms of the broader future of the whole planet slash human race and 
the involvement of the plant-based movement? What, what do you see happening in the next five, ten years or two decades down the road? I think it's only going to grow. I think it's like inevitable. I think people move from the horses to the cars and that's going to be from meat to vegan back to plants. And so I think it's the way forward. I think it's only going to come through education. I think we're the internet is primed to teach people. Look at Netflix, look at YouTube, look at people that are, other people are watching on Instagram. And so it literally just comes down to awareness. I think when people look at veganism at its core, it makes sense. And I think it's just how do you get that in front of a lot of people? It's just changing that trend and it's happening. It's happening so rapidly. And I think that like my friends, just from me being vegan, I'd say that most of my friends now eat a lot less meat. So that's already having an impact. So as long as you have these like these people in their certain groups, in their friendship groups that are kind of influencing others, like this change is going to happen fast. I think people are willing to try out these new dishes, especially when they look like other foods and taste just as good or if not better. And then you read about the stats on how, why meat is damaging your health in so many ways. Like people are conscious, people aren't idiots, but sometimes they take a little while to be pushed over the edge. I laughed at veganism initially, but I learned. So if I can, I think anybody can. And I just think it's too obvious to look at the trends to see that this is something that's going to be massive. And I think actually big, big businesses are kind of moving a little slow on it because I think they're missing opportunity as well, because for them, they've got the audience, they've got the market share there and they could just literally put out a vegan product and it would literally like take off. Like look at veggie prep with, with all its vegan options it now has, like it's making it mainstream. And I think that's what the movement needs to be happy as well. When obviously when other, these big businesses that, yeah, they're still selling meat, but if they're putting a vegan option, that's having an impact. That means that one person's going to try that meal one that week. And that's going to only make them try maybe more dishes in a set in another place. Once they've enjoyed one vegan um, menu. So I think it's, it's going to happen. It's just inevitable. It's just a matter of time. As long as people keep pushing and obviously just don't push it down people's throats. Let people come to it sometimes as well. Like everybody's at their own pace. Essentially in, um, in terms of kebabs, let, let people push it down their own throats. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool. Jim, thanks so much for your time, man. That, that was really, um, that was a really cool conversation went so quick <laughs> yeah it, it did go so quick um i'm just sorry we can't do that in in person eating some of your food but um someday i hope someday soon, it, yes. it's been a really long time since i had a dinner kebab really <laughs> I, I don't know it might, might have actually been back in the days when when i still ate meat because i i don't think i've ever ran into a vegan version wherever i've been wherever i've lived in the past years well hopefully you come visit london soon <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll hit you up definitely good man cool hey thank you so much and um keep on doing the good work hey thank you very much just want to say if anybody wants to follow us we're what the pair on instagram and all profiles or you can find us at whatthepair.com. oh absolutely it's all going in the show notes so if anyone's in london come grab a bite excellent thanks jim thank you bye bye Right, so that was Jim Yildiz in episode 38 of the Plan-Based Entrepreneur Show. If you missed any of the stuff that we talked about, or if you want to go check out their dinner kebabs, we'll be putting the directions to their shops and the links to everything that we discussed in this interview in the show notes, as always, and you can find those online if you go to theplanbasedentrepreneur.com forward slash show forward slash episode 038. Like I told you before, you'll also be able to hear Jim in the food industry module at Plant-Based Business Week, so make sure you save your spot for this online event. 
It's happening from September 12th to 18th, and because it's a virtual conference, you can attend no matter where you are. Just go to plantbasedbusinessweek.com, grab your free ticket, and you're in. For anything else that you'd like to know, like if you have any questions about the things we discussed in this interview, any suggestions, or if you want to share your plant-based business story, you can always email me directly on jerry at theplantbasedentrepreneur.com. Looking forward to it, and I'm especially looking forward to seeing you at Plant Based Business Week 2017. So that's all for today. I will talk to you again next week. Till then, stay awesome, and remember, the future is plant-based. Thank you.